This insert is brought to you by Radio K Pulpit on 7 to 9 a.m. Visit us on www.kpulpit.co.za. Lauren Jacobs here on Voice of Change on Radio Cape Pulpit 7 to 9 a.m. Welcome to today's show and have I got a show for you. I love it when we have guests that really are going to be challenging us and not only challenging us as individuals but challenging us as believers and as different denominations and so today I'm really going to be talking about a topic that you know we could consider a more of an adult topic and so I'm going to say that right at the beginning although this is a topic we should be talking about with our children but today really it's more of an adult topic because I'm going to be joined by Sheila Gregor and she is so passionate about changing the evangelical conversation about sex. Now evangelical is a word that we don't really use a lot here in South Africa but what it really means is it's different denominations who are more conservative and who have been very very dominant especially in the, the United States. In South Africa we don't really talk about the evangelical conversations that we have or denominations however a lot of what the evangelical church in the states believes is what a lot of our denominations believe so this is a conversation that's going to really really impact many of us and Sheila is a popular speaker she's actually a marriage blogger and an award-winning author of nine books including the good girl's guide to great sex and she wants to challenge Christians to go beyond pat answers on marriage to reach real intimacy. She believes in authenticity and gives real solutions to the very real and messy problems that women and couples both face. And she and her husband Keith spend a lot of time touring North America. They have a wonderful, wonderful daughter, grandchildren. And you know what? She is just an amazing woman. She's been referred to as the Christian Dr. Ruth, so to speak. And Sheila is incredible because she is so committed to Christ and so committed to helping women you know really discover what it means to understand intimacy what it means to unpack the duty theology that we've been taught what it means to you know be free in within ourselves in marriage and really to down the show she's going to be sharing some very special truths with us because she actually wrote a book with her daughter Rebecca Lindenbach and statistic expert Joanna Sawatsky and they embarked on this ambitious project which we're going to highlight on the show today the largest study ever 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 done of Christian women's marital and sexual satisfaction and they really did the study with 20,000 women all over the world here in South Africa as well women took part and they had to answer 130 questions which is a lot and together it's so incredible Sheila Rebecca and Joanna flesh out the reality of what was happening poured over the results and wrote a book called The Great Sex Rescue and I want to tell you something I purchased this book and I have been reading it because this is a topic that interests me and I can honestly tell you this topic is biblically sound it has Christ at the heart and it is so incredibly freeing and I hope that you're excited because Sheila is with me today and she's going to be sharing with you a lot of the results that they discovered 
and why she believes that the church needs a great reckoning when it comes to how we've been taught about intimacy. So don't go anywhere because Sheila is with me after this. Sheila, it is absolutely amazing to have you with me on Voice of Change today. I know that you have such a busy schedule as well. So thank you so much for being with me here on the show today. I know it's going to be absolutely phenomenal for the listeners. Well, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Lauren. Well, I know, as I was speaking about in the introduction, you know, this incredible work that you and Rebecca have just done. And it's been so incredible just to read the book. Well, you know what? I'm jumping ahead now, but (laughs) I've been reading this book that you guys have done, The Great Sex Rescue, and it is absolutely incredible. And that's really what we're going to be touching on, you know, the research that you guys did, but also what you guys found out, because that I believe is so, so empowering. And one of the things I'm going to jump right into saying is that I was someone that worked with abused women in the Christian community for many, many years and, you know, spoken so much about abuse on this show, particularly. And I heard a lot of stories from women in Christian marriages where they were taught from pastors and theological books, you know, Christian books, like a lot that are very common and that are very, you know, bestsellers and even from the pulpit and doctrines in in general that Things like, you know, as a woman, you're obligated to give your husband sex or there's no such thing as rape in marriage or all of these kind of doctrines that women have been taught. You know, what can you tell us about this? Because this is something that I know that you can unpack so well. And this is something that women are taught, you know, that almost intimacy is very almost seen as a male sphere or a male dominant place. You know, women are not spoken about in terms of enjoyment or, you know, we just kind of there and it's your obligation and that's what it's about as a woman. Have you, did you encounter this? Did you find this? Yeah. And doesn't that sound depressing? Like, seriously, does anybody think that is like a sexy way to talk about sex? Oh, it's just your duty and you have to do it. Like, no wonder we have a libido problem. (laughs) But what, yeah, what we did was we looked at 20,000 women. Um, So we surveyed 20,000 and some were from South Africa. So thank Mm, you to everyone who took our survey. We had women from all over the world. It was wonderful. Um, And we were, we were really asking, are there certain evangelical teachings which affect women's marital and sexual satisfaction? Mm. So we measured how much women enjoyed their marriage, enjoyed the marriage bed. And then we looked at at which evangelical teachings women believe and the effects of those beliefs. Mm -hmm. And what we found is that in a lot of our marriage books and a lot of the things that women believe really focus on sex from a male perspective. Mm -hmm. So just as an example, um, the book love and respect, which is a major bestseller in North America. I don't know what it's like there, Mm -hmm. but Emerson Eggers has a line where he says, if your husband is typical, he has a need that you don't have. Wow. And that is kind of the way that we talk about sex, that sex is something that men need, but women don't. Mm. And when we start talking about sex, like it's a man's need that really has very little to do with women, then sex easily becomes an obligation. And when it's an obligation, really bad things happen. <laughs> like, yeah. like her sexual, yeah, her marital and sexual satisfaction goes so down. But what really bothers me about the whole thing is that is not biblical. 
Like that has nothing to do with how the Bible talks about sex. Hmm. So tell us more then. What does the Bible actually say? (laughs) Well, you know, okay. I remember I was 13 years old and I was sitting in a pew at church with all of my junior high friends and the pastor opened to Genesis 4 and he read the verse, you know, and Adam knew his wife Eve and they conceived unto them a son. And of course, we're all giggling because we think that God is embarrassed of using the real word for sex there. Like he says, and Adam knew his wife Eve, and my mother's giving me the look (laughs) and trying to tell me to stop laughing, which of course makes you laugh all the more. But as I got older, I realized something really interesting about that verse. The Hebrew word to know is the same word that David uses in the Psalms when he says, search me and know me, O God. It means this deep intimacy, this deep longing to be connected. And I think God uses that word in Genesis to tell us that sex is more than physical. Sex is supposed to be a deep, intimate connection. That's why God uses sexual imagery to talk about his relationship with us throughout the scriptures. You know, Jesus is the bridegroom. The church is the bride. There's a wedding banquet in heaven. I mean, it's it's very sexual. And it's to show us that the intimacy that God wants to feel with us is, is total and complete. So we know from the Bible, sex is intimate. All right. Mm-hmm. We also know from Song of Solomon that sex is deeply pleasurable and that both people long for sex. Mm-hmm. And then we know from 1 Corinthians 7 that it's totally mutual. Everything that he wants and receives, she wants and receives too. Mm. So sex is supposed to be this intimate, pleasurable, mutual thing. And yet, how have we talked about it? Mm. Oh my gosh, this is you know, so we've true. We've talked about it as something that he needs and she needs to, and she needs to give him. Mm. And this is called shame, hasn't it? Like on both parties, because we have men that feel that shame, but then we have women because we've made it something that men need. When women, you know, there's so many women that are just perfectly whole in their sexuality and they also have that need for intimacy. And like you explained it so beautifully, that connection, that depth of connection. And then women feel ashamed because it's like, now you want sex. What's wrong with you? And I've met women that, that are just, you know, perfectly whole and healthy in every area. And they have shame because they've been taught, well, this is kind of almost very male dominated. So if you're a woman and you have these desires for your husband in your marriage, then there's something wrong with you. And that's something that people have taught. But this has been teaching then a shameful message that now individuals have to carry around, not so. Exactly. And the funny thing is, it's not even true. Like, like when we looked at the 20,000 women, we asked, resources they all talk about it like the husband always has the higher libido but actually it's only in 58 percent of marriages that that's the case mm-hmm. in another roughly 23 percent their libidos are shared pretty much equal and then in another 19 percent she's the one with the higher libido so mm-hmm. what happens when we talk about sex as something which he always needs 
and he always wants, well, then you get in a marriage where she has the higher libido and she's going to feel so undesired. And there's no support for her, too. So, you know, we need to stop seeing sex as something where men are like this and women are like this because there's a huge spectrum. Why don't we just simply talk about sex as something where, you know, both of you were created with emotional intimacy needs and for physical intimacy needs. And one of you may feel more one more intensely than the other but you both need both and so let's work at how we can make sure that both needs are met in marriage Mm, that's so beautiful i love that and you know often i've heard counselors woman counselors male counselors telling wives that you know things like oh your husband is watching pornography for example because your wife is not engaging with intimacy with that man Mm -hmm. enough so this then places the blame this is you know kind of a little bit of a different topic but i have heard this so many times i've i've it's just met women who have received this blame. The blame is placed at her feet because her husband is, you know, watching pornography or oh, it must be your fault because you're not, you know, satisfying him or you're not desirable. What is the deal with this mindset, with this teaching, with what we are doing with this? Why do people say this? I mean, this again places blame and guilt and wrongful blame onto the wife's shoulders again, just because the husband's watching pornography. Now, the woman is to blame. Exactly. And that's really widespread. That was one of the evangelical teachings we looked at, that idea, if you have sex, you can keep him from watching porn, and you should mm. have sex to, to stop him from watching porn. Um, for instance, what, what we also did was we looked at the top 13 sex and marriage books in the evangelical world to see which messages they also spread. And let me just give you an example. Every man's battle um, says about porn and lust, once he quits cold turkey, be like a merciful vial of methadone for him. So it tells wives to be methadone for their husband's sex addictions, which is terribly dehumanizing and an awful message. Um, And then in sheet music, uh, Kevin Lehman says, you know, for if a guy is struggling with a porn habit or porn addiction, then during your period where you can't have relations like you might want, you can give him um, sexual favors in other ways so that he can get through this difficult time for him. So, so Kevin Lehman calls, calls her period a difficult time for the husband, not for the wife, (laughs) which which any woman with cramps will tell you that's really distorted. But, (laughs) but, you know, this idea is so wrong as well, because it ignores the reality of porn use and porn habits. Look, for the vast majority of men under the age of 40, if they are watching porn, that habit started before they were married, Mm. and has nothing to do with the wife. Hmm. Exactly. It is not about her because, you know, porn and sex are polar opposites. Sex is not a substitute for porn. They are totally different things Mm. because what sex says is I have this beautiful thing that I want to share with you. It's going to be intimate, which means both of us matter. Mm. You know, we're coming at this to know each other better, to experience something together. What porn says is I want to use you. Your needs do not matter. In fact, your needs are a turnoff. You exist only for me to use. Mm. 
And so biblical sex and porn are polar opposites and one cannot replace the other. You need to get rid of the porn first before you can even build a healthy sex life. And so they've got the order all wrong. Mm -hmm. And what we found is that when women believe that, when women believe that they have to have sex to keep their husbands from watching porn, sexual satisfaction goes down. Um, the rates of sexual pain go up. It's a very problematic message. Mm-hmm. And even that message that you were talking about earlier, that that obligation message, like mm-hmm. I need to have sex with my husband when he wants it, um, that was probably the most dangerous message that we found. Wow. Because, because like what, what a lot of people don't realize is that conservative religious women have twice the rate of sexual pain as the general population. Wow. So, and it's it's a sexual dysfunction. It's called vaginismus. Hardly anyone even knows what the word means. We never talk about it. But of women in their 20s and 30s, roughly 23% of women have experienced this, 7% to the point that intercourse is impossible. Wow. And yet we never talk about it. And when you believe the obligation sex message, your chance of having vaginismus goes up almost by the same statistical effect as prior sexual abuse. Wow. And so just think about that for a minute. Telling a woman you are obligated to have sex with your husband when he wants it has almost the same effect on her body as if she had been abused. Wow. Because both messages say to her, I have the right to use you and your needs don't matter. Wow. You know, Sheila, I'm actually getting goosebumps as I'm listening to you because just recently I was really um, kind of hot under the collar. I heard a um, a pastor actually here in South Africa, religious leader, saying that men have a threshold of 72 hours, so they have to be given <laughs> be given sex, you know, in that period. You know, otherwise they they I, I don't know what he was trying to say about this threshold thing because he didn't go further into it. But there was um, a woman pastor that was with him on this recording, and she was saying, "Yes, woman." That that's why it's important for us to do our marital duties. You know, and I was like, is this preaching? Is this preaching? What are we watching? But, mm-hmm. you know, it was something that actually someone else had shared on social media and said that they agreed with the message. And I was like, what is going on here now? Why? Like, my question is, why is it taught from such a patriarchal mindset? Because that's ultimately what we're dealing with. You know, we're having religious mm-hmm. leaders you know, Christian religious leaders standing on stages and saying, you know, woman, you have this obligation. This is a male sphere of influence. You know, this is where we dominate almost. We have this threshold of 72 hours. You need to be available. You need to do this. Just like you shared as well from that book, Sheet Music. You know, it's it's so scary. This is absolutely scary to be listening to. Why is it that we are inheriting these you know, doctrines that are so patriarchal and that are teaching this way of life? Is it just because this is actually a cultural Mm -hmm. standard or is this just a Christian standard and we have to change it? Yeah, you know, that 72-hour rule, I got such a kick out of that because so many books that we looked at shared it and we were trying to figure out where did it come from. Like Every Man's Battle talks about the 72-hour rule, The Act of Marriage does, Sheet Music, Power of a Praying Wife, they all have this 72-hour rule. And I was looking through the footnotes trying to figure out where did it come from. We looked at medical literature. So we looked at all the medical literature to try to see 
on hour 73, do men get more grumpy or more uncomfortable? <laughs> and what we found is that there is no uniform time that men biologically need to go between emissions. In fact, yeah. um, if you look at cross-cultural studies of, of masturbation habits among teenagers and young adult males, what you find is that the difference in the timing is very culturally dependent. So Swedish men versus Nigerian men versus American men masturbate at different rates wow. because the timing is is culturally dependent. It's not biologically dependent. And so this 72-hour rule is a cultural thing. And I finally found the source. I was so okay. excited when I finally realized where it came from. James Dobson wrote a book in 1977 where he talked about how um, because men's testicles refill every 72 hours, they need... Um, release every 72 hours that's not actually medically true but this this has now been preached now i i need to say like all in favor of frequent sex and we certainly found that couples that had frequent sex were often correlated with greater marital satisfaction greater marital satisfaction tends to be correlated with with more frequent sex but let me tell you the story of k because i think it explains this really well um, so Kay was one of the women in our focus groups that we did after our survey. And she was telling us that after her third child was born, she'd had a, some some postpartum depression. She had had quite a bad tear. So she had a lot of physical issues with sex afterwards. And while beforehand, she really enjoyed sex and really liked it. She just could not get back into it after baby number three. It was like her sex drive was totally gone. Hmm. But she felt like she still needed to initiate every 72 hours so they were religiously having sex every 72 hours and she was not enjoying it Mm. and finally like two years into this she sat down with her husband and she said I just can't keep doing this like we need to figure this out and they had a long talk about how she was believing this obligation sex message that Mm. she had to do it or else he'd be tempted or else she'd be a bad wife and all of these things and he said I never want you to feel that way I never want you to do anything that you don't want to do and so from now on if you don't want to have sex we stop like Mm. even if we're in the middle of it and you change your mind we just stop And he proved that to her. He proved, I don't want you to do anything. Because if she said, no, I'm done, he let her be done. And you know how often they have sex now? (laughs) Every 72 hours. (laughs) (laughs) But but it's because she wants, it's totally changed. Because now it's not a duty. And once it's not a duty, she felt free. You see, Mm. here's what I want your, your listeners to understand. If a woman cannot freely say no, she cannot freely say yes. Mm. So if you want women to be excited about sex, you need to give women the freedom to say no. Mm. Because when we feel like we can't say no, it wrecks libido, it wrecks sexual response. You know, women's sexual response rates go way down, arousal goes way down, everything is hurt. But when we give women the ability to say no, it's like it unlocks Hmm. sexuality and passion. Hmm. Wow, this is incredible. And, And I love what you're talking about, that word duty. 
because that's something that I want to touch on when we get back. And I just love this conversation that we're having today. I feel like there's so much more that we're going to unpack. So if you are joining us, we love having you with us today. We are going to take such a quick music break, but I don't want you to go anywhere because Sheila is still with me after this. And we're going to unpack a whole lot more. So enjoy some music and see when we get back. You're with me, Lauren Jacobs, here on Voice of Change on Radio Cape Pulpit. And if you're just joining me, welcome to the show. I hope that you've been with us from the very, very beginning because we are having such an important conversation today. Now, Sheila, before we went to the song, you were talking about that sense of duty. You know, recently someone asked me a very important question. And that question was that, you know, they feel that when they are intimate with their husband, they actually can't connect emotionally during sex with their husband. And they kind of were wondering, why is that? You know, why can't they be connecting emotionally? Is there something wrong with you as a person? Or is there something wrong with the relationship? Is it because there's a sense of duty, which this person did feel there was a sense of duty behind this whole thing? But... Is there something that we have to consider, you know, is it different for men and women? Are, do we connect the same emotionally during intimacy? Is there a difference in that? Is there reasons why we can't connect emotionally? Is it got to do with us, the person that we're with? You know, because obviously intimacy is just like so beautifully, as you explained it early on. It's about knowing the other person. It's about connecting in so many different ways. So where does emotions come into this and emotional connection? Yeah, so one of the things we did for the Great Sex Rescue, um, and which is, of course, the book we're talking about, Survey of 20,000 Women, was emotional connectedness during sex was one of our outcome variables. And Mm -hmm. and what I mean by that is that we were often measuring um, how different teachings affected women, uh, and, and we saw that these teachings were good or bad often by looking at how much women felt emotionally connected with their husbands during sex because it really does vary and basically the more that you believe that sex is a duty that you have to have sex in order to keep your husband from doing something bad like Mm. lust or watch porn or have an affair you know the less emotionally connected you're going to feel because you're not entering it freely but this question about like, do, do men have less of an ability to connect emotionally during sex? Because that's often what we feel is that men have this animalistic feeling about sex and women have much more of an intimate feeling about sex. And sometimes those things don't connect. Um, in fact, one book, Every Heart Restored, which is part of the Every Man's Battle series, actually said men just don't have that Christian view of sex. Like it actually said that God created men not to see sex as something intimate, but to see Mm. sex as something only physical. And that is so not true. That is preached everywhere. It's all through our evangelical resources and we need to stop. Like that is a Mm. sin. (laughs) That that is defaming the name of God because God created us for intimacy. Mm. And if men have more of a difficulty feeling intimacy during sex, it's probably simply because men have been told their whole lives that what you really need is release, mm. right? Like love and respect. Emerson Egrich says he has a need for physical release the way that you have a need for emotional release. Wow. Well, that's just not true. Okay, we both were created with needs for intimacy. Now, it so happens that men's emotional needs are often hidden and discouraged in the Christian church. So Mm. little boys aren't taught how to identify emotions. And so often happens is that men sexualize their needs. Mm. 
So men need to connect emotionally, mm-hmm. intimately, etc. But the only way they're able to do that is to make those needs into sexual ones because it's very vulnerable to express real needs. And because often boys have been taught not to have needs, sex is the only need they're allowed to have. And so often guys feel like what I need is physical release when really what they need is, is emotional intimacy. And that's the only safe way to feel it. But you know, this, this idea that guys can't be intimate is just simply not true. It's a distortion of the way that God made us. Hmm. And I think what God wants for all of us is wholeness. You know, one of the things we try to do in the great sex rescue is to take some of these teachings that we've been taught and rescue and reframe them um, into what is more in line with the biblical view of sex and with a Jesus sense. So for instance, instead of saying a husband has a need for physical release, you say both men and women have needs for emotional intimacy and sexual intimacy. And one of you may feel the need for one to a greater degree than the other, but you both have both needs. And so let's learn how to express them both in a healthy way. Hmm. Wow. You know, this is incredible because this was just actually what I was going to ask you. You know, there seems to be so many things that we have heard, that we've been taught, that we've been exposed to. Now, I know some of the books that you mentioned actually are just so popular here as well in South Africa and particularly among men's groups as well, you know, like Every Man's Battle, for example, or we have that book Love and Respect. You know, people have read that book and, uh, you know, just poured over this literature and shared it among men's groups so that it's almost gospel, right? And But it becomes all these messages that are received. How do we reframe things? Is there going to need to be a kind of a tiny bit of a revolution, although revolution isn't always tiny, <laughs> but, you know, is there is it up to us to just begin to change the messages, just begin to reframe it? Or is there going to have to be a big shift, you know, when it comes to what is preached, when it comes to what is taught? Because this reality of sex and intimacy is affecting relationships, marriage relationships. It's it filters on down into abuse sometimes as well and rape in marriage and all those things that we're not even going to get to touch on today. But how do we go about changing this? Is it going to be just individual or is it something bigger than just, you know, maybe you or me? I think that the evangelical church does need to have a big reckoning because the way we've done this is really toxic and our best sellers are among the most toxic. We look We developed a 12-point rubric for healthy sexuality teaching, um, which we developed after we looked at our survey results and once we looked at all the peer-reviewed research. So, for instance, things like, does this book teach that that the purpose of sex is for intimacy, pleasure for both, and fun, or does it only teach that sex is about a man's physical release? You know, those are Mm. the kinds of questions we were looking at on this rubric. And love and respect, for instance, literally scored zero out of 48. It could not have done worse. Hmm. Whereas the secular control book we were looking at, John Gottman's book, The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work, that one scored 47 out of 48. Wow. And so how are our evangelical books doing so badly? Now, I do need to say The Gift of Sex by the Penners that book also scored 47 out of 48. So there were a couple of evangelical books that did really well, Mm. but our bestsellers are not doing well. 
And so I would just really, really ask that pastors and marriage leaders read the great sex rescue, see how we're Mm. doing things wrong, because it isn't difficult to do it right. Like it really isn't. It just takes a reframing and seeing sex as something which is intimate, mutual and pleasurable. It's that simple. Mm. Intimate, mutual, pleasurable. You've got it all set. Um, But we need to stop teaching it as a male entitlement. But I would say that even though it needs this this big reckoning from our leaders, I think individuals can do a whole lot themselves. I think that when individual people realize, okay, I have believed some stuff that's really toxic and I want to get rid of it. You can do that in your own marriage, just like Kay did, right? She she got yeah. rid of the obligation sex message and she totally changed it, even though they're still having sex every 72 <laughs> hours, right? Yeah. But it was because they changed the way they saw sex. And I think the more individuals start changing the way we see changing the way we talk about it to our friends, to our kids, Mm. you know, we can have a big impact. So even if the pastors don't listen, even if the evangelical leaders don't listen, we can have a big impact. We can start buying the books that are good and not spreading the books that spread the bad messages. And we can start learning how to recognize what is healthy and biblical and what is actually toxic and not biblical, Mm. and then reject the toxic stuff. And I think there'll be a major sea change in the evangelical church. Mm. And that would be incredible, because I'd love to see that happen myself. And I know that the great big sex rescue was when I picked it up, you know, I was like, Oh, my gosh, this is such a cool book. Because you know what, I have my own mindset about it and a lot like about sex and intimacy and a lot of what I've had in my mind was there in the book and I was like yes this is so cool because the book is so actually freeing when you read it I've met so many people along you know the path of life that have encountered so many difficulties in this area and it's because they've just been taught things that are toxic just like you exactly described it you know men carry shame because maybe you know they don't have this libido that society tells them they need to have that's something else we haven't even touched on today and i've met men that have you know problems with their body image which is something we don't talk about either you know and it's like men that have experienced even sexual abuse and so it affects things in their marriage but they don't know how to deal with it because there's no support even for them because you know society and even in the church we've been taught that oh well this is men always need sex and men are okay with this but there we have a lot of men that things are changing we have a very stressful lifestyle today and the stress is affecting men as well and did you you know I know that you surveyed women but have you found that as well like things have shifted a bit and changed in this area and sometimes we are finding that there is no support for men who have problems in those areas who maybe don't feel like you know they want to have sex all the time or they they kind of feel like oh well society tells me I need to be a certain way but I'm not like that and then they begin to carry shame and blame on themselves as well and I think that that's something that shouldn't be like that Absolutely. And that is a huge issue that we saw. Now, interestingly, we actually have surveyed men since we wrote the book. Our next mm. book is going to be for guys, The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex. Uh, cool. But here's here's one area that I think that guys have really been hurt in the evangelical church. And it's in the area of lust. Mm. I think that the evangelical church equates sexual attraction with lust. Mm. 
And so, so many guys go through life trying not to lust and feeling so much shame for their sex drive. They are not lusting. <laughs> like mm. Jesus said, whoever looks at a woman with lust. So looking is a deliberate action and lusting is a deliberate mindset. And yet we've taught teenage boys that, you know, don't look at a girl or you might get tempted or you might, you know, feel attracted. And we equate mm. sexual attraction and being tempted and noticing a girl is pretty with lust. And those are not the same thing. And mm. so I think so many guys go through life thinking they have a lust problem when they don't. Mm. And that's a really shameful message to give to guys. And then we tell guys the only way to deal with your lust problem is to have a lot of sex with your wife. And, and so it's like every time he's sexually attracted to someone else, he feels like I have to have sex with my wife to get the other woman out of my head. And it's like, buddy, it's okay to feel sexual attraction for someone. You can notice a woman is pretty and then go on with your day and think nothing more of it. Mm. <laughs> it doesn't have to yeah. deal, but we've made it into this huge deal. Um, and I think that's a huge area where a lot of guys feel, feel stressed. They were never meant to have either. I'm so excited for that book as well. I think that's going to be incredible. I am so grateful that God has been leading you to do this work as well, because this is so needed in the Christian church. And it's needed by both men and women. It's needed by married people, single people, by how, you know, even our children, how we teach them, how we raise them. Exactly like you were just saying, the messages that we're going to be teaching boys and girls from when they're young. You know, I remember some of the weird messages that my parents taught me. At least my parents were open with me, but they taught me some weird messages like men are, are hunters and women are foxes, you know, and you're like, where did you come up with that? <laughs> It's like you think you're going to be hunted your whole life down, you know, so you have to be very terrified and afraid. Uh, but it's just incredible, the incredible work that you ladies, you three ladies have done. I want to say thank you so much, Sheila. I think there is so much more we can talk about. So I definitely think we need to have a follow up conversation within the next couple of months because I'm sure that you're going to be seeing and hearing so many testimonies and lives that are going to be touched through the Great Big Sex Rescue. Have you heard things already? Have people been sharing with you and saying, I picked up this book and this is what I experienced? Oh, yeah, it's been amazing. And so many women have said, I didn't even think I had an issue. And then I read The Great Sex Rescue and I realized, oh, wow, I internalized a lot more than I thought I did. Mm. And this has just been so freeing. And that's just what we hear over and over is that this book is so validating and it's so freeing. And a lot of people have been reading it as couples. There's little exercises you can do at the end of each chapter to, to rebuild your sex life. There's check-ins so that you can talk to each other. So, yeah, read it on your own or read it as a couple um but the great sex rescue i think the cup call the evangelical church needs so that we can get healthy if we want marriages to be healthy then we need to teach about sex in a healthy way and i believe that the great sex rescue starts putting that conversation right Mm. And you see how I'm already calling it the great big sex rescue. Can you see like I put that word big into the title of the book because I was like, <laughs> yes, it is going to be big. <laughs> it's amazing. And I want to say, Sheila, thank you so much for being with me on the show today. And I want to encourage the listeners. You know what? You can get this book on Kindle over on Amazon. And I'm sure that it will be in local bookstores in South Africa as well or online. But do yourself a favor and go 
get a copy, read it, and let us, you know, turn the tide on the wrong messages that we've received, but also that we are still receiving because these things are still being taught. And so, Sheila, thank you so much for being with me on Voice of Change. This has been so cool and so informational. So all the best with everything that you're going to be doing with The Great Sex Rescue and also with the upcoming books, which we are looking forward to. So thank you so much for this. Well, thank you, Lauren. It's been great to be here. I hope Voice of Change today has been phenomenal for you as much as it has been for me. And to have Sheila here is such a great, great honor. It was such a great blessing to hear her. I really do believe that, you know, what? in a couple of months, we will have a bit of a follow-up because this is a conversation that we really need to crack open. It's a conversation I asked Sheila so much today and there was so much more I wanted to ask. But you know what? We were getting into it. And I really encourage you, you know, if you want to also look into all of the things that you've probably learned about intimacy, about men and women and all these wrong teachings, well, you know, The Great Sex Rescue is for you because we need to unpack these theologies. I am shocked, really, that we have been learning things and reading best-selling books by Christian authors who have really been teaching us things that are not actually even medically sound or biblically sound, but really just come from a lot of cultural mindsets. And that's what we need to undo and undo and undo. And I do believe, as Sheila said with us, that, you know, there has to come a reckoning in this area. But you know what? It's also going to take us as individuals to wake up to our own realities and to say, you know what? I'm going to get educated, informed, and I'm not just going to believe what's handed to me in this area. particularly in the area of sex and intimacy but I'm going to discover what the Bible says and I'm also going to discover what is truth and I encourage you to do that and I hope that you've had a great time with me on the show today it's been absolutely phenomenal and you know what if you miss any of these shows or actually if you want to you know re-listen to a show or you wish that you just had that friend that you know is struggling in this area that could have listened to the show well then you can go on over to our website Radio Cape Pulpit or capepulpit.co.za and click on the podcast tab that's right at the top and go on over to one of the pages that say Voice of Change and then you will be able to re-listen to all of my shows back again and this show will be up there. You can share it with a friend because honestly... I am so passionate about this topic because I've met so many wounded individuals over the time when I was a therapist that were dealing with shame, grief, pain, and so much more in this area, men and women. And so I encourage you to go on and share this with them. And so next week, I'm super, super excited because on the show, I'm going to be talking about Fashion Revolution Week, and that is coming up mid-April, mid to the end of April. And Fashion Revolution Week is powerful. It's a global movement that you want to know more about because actually it's something that you're already participating in without even knowing it so see you next week on voice of change take care this insert was brought to you by radio k pulpit on 729 am visit us on www.kpulpit.co.za